Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Andrew Bartram and Eric Mathy. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Simon. And hello, Eric. Simon, good to see you. Here are you, both. <laughs> and it's, uh, there's and nobody else and we haven't been anywhere. Um, so uh, Yevgeny has got the, uh, got, got the week off um, and there's still a few people wondering what is Yevgeny? Um, well, you'll look at some pictures and um, listen. To, and uh, actually, have we actually explained Yevgeny? Actually, I don't think we actually did, did we? No. Well, anyway, I'm, I'm, my, my microphone is currently wearing Yevgeny's hat at the moment. Um, so that's that's all you all you need to know. Um, okay. So um, clear as exactly exactly it's one of those things where you start talking and going down an avenue and you're start, starting to think oh i wish i hadn't done this um but we're just gonna let you like sit right in it exactly i mean a professional podcast would start again now and just ignore that but um we we don't really do that here what's professional exactly exactly so um uh, first of all um again i want to thank dave shrimpton uh, for putting up with us for two episodes um, we only actually visited once, but we got two episodes out of it. Um, so if you've not listened to the previous two episodes where we uh, spent a lot of time with Dave Shrimpton, uh, please do. It was, he's awesome. And we had a great yeah. time. So uh, so thank you, Dave. Um, so this week's show, um, not sure how long it's going to be. Could be a could be a short one. We, we say that many times and it doesn't turn out that way. Um, but we just wanted to have a bit of a catch up because we haven't really spoken to each other uh, in a while. And um, occasionally we do interesting things. And uh, so uh, we're going to do that. And we were going to do an Ask Eric section, um, but we didn't get any questions. So everybody that listens to the show knows everything and we don't need to ask you anything any, anymore, Eric. Yeah, totally. I don't, I don't think we've actually pushed the Ask Eric slot, have we, in the group? I don't not in the group, but cool. um, I, I did uh, at the end of the last podcast. For those people that got to the end of the show, ah. um, I, I did invite people to uh, to 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 write into us. And, oh, did you? Uh, yeah. Well, but, you know, the group now. The by by the way, folks, for those of you listening, the group refers to the Facebook Large Format Photography Podcast Group. So the group is that. Come mm. and join us. We're a pretty friendly bunch. Um, but now the group has experts, <laughs> right? So don't get Simon started on this. So you know, if most of the questions are probably going into the experts in yeah. the group, which is J- a fair Jason, thing. Jason Lane, Greg, and some others. I can't remember who I made experts. <laughs> <laughs> did you just like close your eyes? No I just did it on a whim. I stuck yeah. a stuck a pin in. Yeah. <laughs> You'll do. <laughs> You're an expert in something, sir. Yeah. <laughs> exactly you you sound convincing there you go mm. that's 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 good enough that's why um, i'm here yeah well yeah well you you're very good at reading things out um yeah so there you go that's why we employed you in the first place indeed so that and to get dave burnett and sally mann which you've that's right miserably yeah. at. hey we're working on david burnett mm. we're working on david burnett okay there are inquiries inquiries which the first one inquiries no, that inquiries? was inquiries. That's the one. Bollocks. Well, we need Anyways. to know so we can schedule him in properly. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. That was a bit of an in joke going on there. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, let's move swiftly on and um, and let's hear what's been going on in the fens, uh, Andrew. Mm. Well, um, 
I'm getting very excited because my darkroom extension is pretty much finished. I've been, uh, where am I? What have I got to do now? Oh, I've got some tiles on the wall. I found a load of tiles from our bathroom and they're pretty big things. And I don't know anything about tiling, but I've stuck them on the wall with some heavy duty builder's glue stuff. It's not even tile cement or whatever you use, supposed to use. But anyway, they're, they're stuck on there. So I've got a, I've got a splash back from my sort of sink area and I've built two two like little mini tables to go either side of it and one of them's going to hold my Nova print processor the 2012 by 16 four slotted thingy bob and then at the other end I've got my fiber print washer will sit on there so that's all coming I've just got to sort of fix it all in place and seal it around and then I've just got to figure a way of getting some kind of temporary water supply in, which will be something like a garden hose, I suspect, and some kind of drain from the sink. None of these are game changes because I've never had running water or drainage ever. So it'll happen when it happens. But I, I, I figured I can – the sink I've got, which which was given to me, uh, has got a screw thread on the bottom so I can put a, a U-trap or something and then some pipe pushing pipe work to go through the darkroom wall and outside into the nearest soak away so that'll just be largely water i think you know um, nothing too insidious going into the soak away um uh, so what else have i got to do i think that's 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 about it so i've got my um first paying customer who's um <laughs> our dear friend neil piper <laughs> is coming to see and he's, he's he's staying with us for the weekend so some beer oh, wow. might be consumed <laughs> question i'm not sure now he's had his gallbladder out i think it means he can eat normal things <laughs> how are you temperature controlling and or filtering that water that's coming in through a garden hose are you running it through like a, a some sort of like inline filter and how are you keeping the temperature because you know photography is somewhat temperature sensitive well bear in mind that that water the, the only reason i really need a water supply in there will be to uh what do I do at the moment? Well, be to connect to the print washer, really. And okay. I could put the... I've got a utility room next to the garage, but they're not joined, unfortunately. That would make life a lot simpler for plumbing. So I... Um, at the moment, what I... Or what I did do before I made the darkroom bigger, I had one of the... We've got a mixer tap in the in the utility room, and I've, we've got a cat flap, although we no longer have a cat. So the mixer tap has a connector on the top, you know, so I can mm-hmm. regulate hot and cold. And then the garden hose goes through. The, I'm, I'm signalling this as a, with my hands. And then the garden hose goes through the cat flap and through the ho- through a hole in the wall in the darkroom. And hey That's presto! And hey presto! I have water awesome. in. And then on the outlet of the archival print washer, there's like a inch piece of push-on tubing which they use in um, fish ponds, I suppose garden ponds and i've got a whole length of that and that took the waste water away through a hole in the wall in the dark room and that literally went onto the stones outside because that was just wash water you know a bit of a waste mm-hmm. really i suppose I, sometimes i tried to capture it but it was just far there's far too much water the other time i'd really need some water is if i'm using liquid uh, not liquid emulsion some uh, uh, liquid sunshine you know photographers bleach to bleach some highlights in a print which is a nice little trick and then you need some kind of it'd be nice to have some running water for that but i get by i've got by for years over it so having some kind of running water in there 
Um, I suppose if I went to a plumber and said, could you work out a way of getting, you know, a proper supply in there, he'd probably do it. But I'm just trying to do it on the cheap, really. Right, right. I was today. just wondering about the, the filtration because it's going through your, your archival print washer and be oh, well, ashamed to have. I don't know. It's never been an issue. Like I, I've got a crap coming in, you know. Well, uh, we, we have lovely clean. It's not Stoke on Trent, you know. This is the Fens. <laughs> this is good, good clean Fenland water, and we do have a water softener, so that helps. I think that. I'm more worried about your pipes. Oh well, uh, the last time I had checked out, they were fine. Um, <laughs> Uh, the well i don't know i've never had a filter on it you know so right. it's fine Just curious. No. um we do have a we do have a water softener so the water does go through a water softener okay. which is helpful for you know residue on films and stuff so i'm very pleased we've got a i've got double the space i had before um it's it looks a bit more professional now you know cupboard space and um, i've got my jobo set up in there um so it's going to be good, I think. So I'm, so I'm very excited. I, I've been holding off. Well, I had been holding off shooting any kind of film because, of us, as I've said before, if I can't follow it through and make a print, you know, I, I get a bit stressed. So, But I've just come back from two weeks in Northumberland. Northumberland is on the northeast coast of the UK, and it's uh, it's where all the Geordies live, and they speak a bit strange. So we did have um, we did have a few communication issues. Um, but anyway, you know, um, so we had a lovely time. I took my large format camera with me, but my six by 17 back. And I did shoot one roll of film, which was expired Astia. Is it Fuji Astia slide film? Yes. Yes. I think so. I think it was a slide film. Um, so I shot that and then I loaded a roll of Portra 400 into my six by 17 back and made one exposure and then gave up with that camera for the week two weeks but i did funnily enough um expose quite a few rolls of 127 film <laughs> and uh, a load of sx70 film and a shed load of hp5 in my holger because when you're on holiday you don't want to be carting a large format camera around with you do you not really uh, well maybe you don't but uh, well you do yeah on a bicycle but not yeah, with a family I'm, holiday with a dog and a wife no and and andrew you're, you're letting the side down here yeah, you know, this is the large format photography podcast. Oh, sorry, isn't it the one two seven film no. photography <laughs> podcast? It's the one ten photography podcast. Well, I did take my Toyo with me, but as I said, I had my six by seventeen back. But uh, I'm uh, the other reason I'm holding off shooting any too much four by five at the moment is I've um, uh, I'm I'm going to do some film testing with to determine my optimum film speed now i kind of know what it is i think i think from trial and error i've spoken about this before we spoke about it when matt marash was on the show we spoke about it when richard pickup was on the show and it's a perfectly valid way of determining what your own personal expo uh, exposure index is by trial and error so if you haven't got shadow detail where you expect it then rate your film a bit slower if you've got mm -hmm. too much then um speed it up a bit and that's going to vary for every single person for all the different variables you've got for your lens on your camera with camera you're using the light meter so you know for people to say well i should you know i always rate hp5 at this that or the other well you know that's fine but you know for if you want to employ you know if you want to get the best out of your materials and you and you know when you're looking for shadows to appear in on the print in a certain a certain tonal value, then it's 
good to have run some basic tests. So I've ordered from America a Stufa. Matt, I have Matt Marash to thank, and Matt Marash copied it off. An Australian photographer whose name just escapes me at the moment, uh, but there's a great article I'll share to the notes on film speed testing that Matt refers to in his large format Friday video from a few weeks or months ago. So Matt shows has done a great video on this. So he used a 4x5 Stufa step wedge, which is an American Stufa, S-T-O-U-F-F-E-R. And the one I've ordered is the one that Matt Marash used, and it's a 4x5 piece of film with 21 half-stop steps, half-stop steps. And you chuck that in your chuck that in your camera. Now I'm, I'm simplifying all of this now, so I need to go back and watch it again before I do it. And you aim your, you defocus the camera against a white surface in a north. Some well, if you're in the northern hemisphere, look for a north-facing light. So you know you're not getting any loads of harsh. If you're in the southern hemisphere, I guess you look for a southern-facing light. And start off if you want by setting your light meter to the box speed of the film. Or if you've a hunch that it might actually be lower, set it lower. And then you, um, you're looking for a zone 10, I think it is. So that's like five stops above your average meter reading. So you set it on there and, you, and you're looking for, and then you develop, your, you develop this Stufa, Stufa wedge in your normal developer for whatever time you fancy. And, and, and then you, hang on a minute, you don't, don't cut me off. And then you, oh, okay. you check, okay. you check, you check the zone 10 against the Stufa wedge and a little bit of sticky label that you put on. And then you can just tweak your box speed either way, depending on where you're getting tonality showing up in your print. Yes, Simon. I've it's explained the, that really badly, but go and watch well, Matt. Well, no, no, he I, does, I, he's done a great video on it. It, it, <laughs> it does. It's, it, I think it was making sense to me. It's all this thing about this Stufa. Stufa. That that's 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 the thing that I'm just not still not entirely clear. So is that is that right? That's a that is a sheet of film mm. that is banded with different what yeah. exactly? With different levels tones of density. Of gray. Yeah. Sorry, so you're both talking at the same time there. So um, uh, Eric, you um, I'm, I'm going to ask Eric. Uh, because nobody else is asking Eric anything this week. Um, so, so Eric, could you just explain that um, so that it's really clear for absolutely everybody, because I'm still not entirely clear about this. It's 21 steps from white to black, and every single step adds more density, more gray to it. So I, was, I, would, I would jokingly call it 50 shades of gray, but it's actually 21 shades of gray, starting from zero, which is complete white blank, all the way to the 21st, which is dead black. Right. So, and so, so that's effectively yeah. 10 stops from zero. So if you're looking at exactly. zoning system things, the idea is that when you develop, when you develop this sheet of film and you do a contact print on it, what you're looking for is tonality from about, um, three, zo- about three stops below zone five and three stops above and then you know you're you're good to go it, it, depending if you're getting more if you're getting more tonality in the shadows or more tonality in the highlights you can adjust your um the speed that you're exposing the film at so it's a way of homing in so that when you when you're out there with your spot meter and your large format camera and you're looking to say well I, I want to photograph that shadow there and I want detail in it so in in zone system terms 
that's zone three, for example, which is two stops lower than your meter reading. So you want to have absolute certainty that when you reduce your meter reading by those two stops, you're going to get shadow detail there. And if you if you aren't getting it, if the Stufa test is showing that you're actually not getting any detail at all at two stops under, then you need to rate your film instead of 100, rate it at 50, and go and do the test again. But just because you you end up with a your own exposure index of you know 50 for HP4 doesn't mean that the next person it won't be 100 or 125. When Matt Marash did it for his, what was he doing it for? Delta 100, I think. He ended up at 125 for his. Right now, I'm I'm still not clear on this this. This, yeah, you need to watch stufa, the video. This, this stufa doofa. Um, so it's not an actual, from what you just said there, it's not an actual piece of film. Is it something that goes over the film? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it is. It's it's, yeah, yeah. It's, so a, it's a piece of film. Who's, who's done this then? How's, how's that even work? Stufa. I, have, I mean, I haven't done it with one of these. I printed out a, essentially a grayscale, right? Um, you can find images like this all over the place on the internet. It's a, it's a grayscale test um, that you use for testing printers to say, okay, is, is my printer like rendering all 10, 20 ranges of gray from white to black, right? And I've just printed, I'm cheap. I just made one of those, print it out, put it up on a wall, shoot the Sony F16 with right. the so, camera so and this the film, is and I develop it and I see if I have all the ranges, all the tonality of gray that I want. That, that makes it. sense to me. But it, it, so this isn't an actual sheet of film that's being. It actually, this actually is. This yeah, actually is. So you're not taking a photograph of this thing. You're actually putting it in your camera. Yes, mm-hmm. in in contact with the film that you're testing. Yeah. In contact mm-hmm. with the film. So it's not the mm-hmm. film. It's something that go. It. It's not yeah, the you, film. You, it's something load, that works with your, the film. You load, yeah, sorry. You yes. load your stufa. Stufa. Four that's, by five. See, test. that's the bit I was trying to get to the bottom of. Okay. Uh, well. Yeah. Uh, then you load that again in contact with your um, film that you want testing and load it in your four by five holder. So it's like, like a, effectively a filter that just sits in front of yes. the film itself. And, and you you focus on infinity against a white sheet on the wall, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. cause you're looking for, you're looking for de- to determine the test that Matt talks about is, is looking to determine yeah. whether you're, whether you've got some tonality or not around zone 10, you know, which is, um, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically a version of, um, Ansel Adams process of finding the exact way that he wanted to shoot certain films. Every lens, every chemistry, every film combination added up to the perfect rate speed rating for that film. And there's lots of, there's lots of other ways to do it, and there's lots of resources out there mm-hmm. uh, describing yeah. all sorts of ways of doing it. But this is the only way where you can just. This is one of the only ways where you can only where you only up using one or two sheets. You know, you'll end up mm-hmm. normally you'll end up um, if it's you know exposing ten separate sheets. You know, looking yeah. for um, with a densometer is the way we well, and then a densometer, uh, densometer is recommended so mm-hmm. yeah or um, wayne setzer has been using his rh design zone master and that has a densitometer function i think so he's been calibrating stuff for you know his, his zone master darkroom yeah. analyzer yeah. 
I mean, really, the, the best cool. thing to I'll post a link to Matt's uh, video in the sh in the show notes because you know Matt's a proper professional and he explains it far better than I did. I mean, the wedge itself just came from the screen printing world. This is what he's. It's this thing is really common in screen printers where yeah. they just lay it down on the screen print. They expose a big blast of white light to it. They see what the step is and then so, they adjust their exposure. This is if, just poaching got, screen printing and putting it on if you've got, camera film instead. So the idea is that when you finish this test for a film that you use regularly, using a camera that you use regularly, and more importantly, a lens and a light meter, so to cut out all the variables, the test will tell you if you're exposing that film at the correct speed to render tonality from the shadows where you want them to the highlights where you want them. The highlights, you'll determine that by the amount of development because... You know, the first test you do is um, with the Stufa is for determining your exposure and and how how you nailed that or not. And the second one is for your development. So, at the end of effectively two or three sheets, you'll have nailed your uh, optimum exposure index for that film and the development time for and that. The lens. You, so, use a use a developer that you use all the time, one that you're familiar with. Matt says. Use a lens that you use all the time. So in theory, every time you use a different lens or a different developer, I guess you repeat it all, you know? Yeah. But I don't think I'll be doing that, to be honest. Nope. Um, well, this, this, is, this is probably a, a, a good time for me to uh, do a quick shout-out um, for Billy Sanford, mm. um, who's yeah. one of our listeners on the podcast, and uh, you hear his name pop up in lots of different Billy. Um, and uh, Billy has got is currently out on the um, like the the second the second feed of the Sunday Sixteen podcast, which is called Sunday Sixteen Presents. Which Eric will know all about that because he's 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 starred on there as well, hasn't he? With uh, with his lens punks, um, and uh, the current one, which I think they call um, is part of the On Location series. Um, and Billy uh, was was trawling through our back catalogue. And it hit episode ten. I think it was episode ten, um, and uh, which was the episode with Richard Pickup, uh, mm -hmm. where we where we went into some depth of trying to get the zone system into my thick head um, again. Um, and I think that was the one where it, things started to actually make a bit of sense to me after about the first nine episodes that were pretty much uh, just trying to get me to understand the zone system. Um, but uh, but yeah, he listened to that, and uh, and this is like one of the great things about doing this this kind of podcasting, is that you know he was he got really excited um, about hearing that because he was in the dark room at the time, and and it it's like really spoke to him, and uh, so uh, he's he's made a an audio recording of him doing exactly you know one of these processes i think he was using one of the um, richard richard pickups processes uh, going through his uh, uh going onto his website and do, doing something that he did um and he was doing it with hasselblad he's uh he's he's aiming to do things on large format but he hasn't quite got there yet so hurry up billy um but um but yeah um so yeah that might be a a, a listen that uh, well might be it's a it's a good listen to anybody that's interested in the subject and just just going through it uh uh, from a very personal experience so um so yeah that's uh billy sanford on sunday 16 presents um on location out out now yeah, he um he claimed that you inspired him simon oh you've listened to it have you no i read his um i, I read oh, his right, post um well i think it was it was it was a joint effort there so um so yeah but that's well worth listening to yeah because he does say good things about all of us especially me <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's it, really, for me. Um, <laughs> I haven't started the film testing yet because my stufa bit of film yes. is coming from America, and I only paid ten dollars for postage. So you never know; it might not ever reach here. I'm telling you, you can just print out a grayscale on your black and white. No, I can't. No, it won't, be, it won't be as calibrated and as good as a stupid. Mm, okay. And it's saying just put it up. I'm just doing that. Look, Matt Marash says, get yourself a stufa. So, I'm so not going to argue with Matt. You know, I'm not going to argue with him. He didn't say no, go and print out some cheapskate thing on a printer that's uncalibrated using some ink that may or may not be the same as the one I'm using. <laughs> it's all relative, though. That's the joy of this shit. If you do it consistently, the only results that matter are the results that are particular to you. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. Right. You know, that's the joy of it. And yes, cheap, that's me. Mm-hmm. So that 100%. No question asked. I'm not paying $50 for a Stufa wedge from Boston Consultant when I can pay five cents for a printout and I can shoot it against a sunny wall. Mm-hmm. Or oh, the other thing is, don't worry about it. You know, Just f- shoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as my buddy Vincent say, f- it, shoot it. I'm not suggesting that everybody should go and do this, but it's, it's a really useful exercise yeah. because anybody who uses film and develops film is getting into sensitometry, whether they know it or not, you know? When yeah. they're adjusting their film speed, they're moving the point along what's called the, sh- the foot part of the, of, the, of the curve, you know? And if you, if you reduce the film speed so much by this fancy thing called pushing, you're, you're, you're moving your shadow point further and further to the left on a characteristic curve. It's the same characteristic curve that you'll see on any Ilford data sheet for HP5 or HP4. And there will come a point when you move the shadow point so far to the left that there'll be no recordable detail which might be fine, you know, but it, it's knowing it's knowing that and knowing at what point you've got shadow detail and what point you haven't. And you only do that through some kind of testing, either empirical or trial and error type um, uh, testing, you know. So mm-hmm. I think I should have shadow detail there, but I don't. So maybe I need to just not rate this film quite as fast as I have been doing or not worry about it if you, if you love you know, just have a bit of fun. It's fine. So I'm not suggesting that everyone needs to go and get a stufa step wedge. <laughs> but I was, but it looked a it looked a good thing to do. So I've done yeah. it. I'm sure I'm, I look forward to your results, especially now that you have a dark room mm. to mess around with. Mm. Should be cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's again. That's one of the advantages of doing things with large, large format because you can just do shoot a sheet at a time. Yeah. yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. It become, you can do it with thirty-five mil. There's lots of stuff out there for mm. determining your own film speed with thirty-five mil. But it's mm-hmm. you start to question whether it's. Well, Bill, uh, Billy was yeah. doing it, doing it with a, on one twenty with a Hasselblad. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's um, it just it just makes it easier with with, uh, with large format. There's no mm-hmm. two ways about it. Um, I still need to get more um, uh, disciplined uh, by marking down each. Uh, exposure uh, on my on my I'm rubbish at doing I'm rubbish at doing that I don't don't know why I'm doing all this clever film testing because I'm just rubbish at making notes anyway (laughs) I tried on some of my trips like I tried you know I would take the photo Route 66 I'd take the shot I'd mark down the day and then actually I used Instagram as sort of my notebook right because you you post the shot to Instagram I take a photo of the photo and a photo of the camera and be like wherever the hell I am 
drop a pin on the map. So Instagram essentially keeps track of where you just shot it and then put notes. This is the exposure, the blah, 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 that sort of thing, which is kind of, which is actually super fucking useful. But well, it's impossible uh, to keep track of the sheets of film when you're yeah. shooting in mass on a 30 day trip. Yeah. Like, well, 240 so, sheets of film in, they're all loose in a box. There's no way to know. Yeah, which it, it, is, it is hard when you're, when you're in that kind of situation. So the first comment I'd make is that anyone who shares a picture and then just puts an F stop and an, and an aperture and think that's useful information is, is, it's not. Okay. You know, if you, if you want to produce a beautiful print with shadows that the shadows that speak to you, you know, that there's, there's a little bit of detail there and highlights that aren't, that aren't burnt out, then the much more useful information is how many stops have you got between your zone three shadow expectation and your zone eight highlight. So, you know, the scene you're looking at, is it, is it only measuring five stops? Is it measuring 12 stops? So that's the important information that you can write down so that when you get back, if you've got a very narrow contrasty scene, you can, you can then having determined what your normal development is for an eight stop range if you've only got five, if you've only recorded five stops in subject brightness range, you can then choose to develop that sheet of film along with some others at um, extended development, you know, to increase the contrast and push those five stops to seven stops or something like that. So subject brightness range is a much more useful thing to make a note of for large format photography if you're looking at making the best possible print with beautiful shadow details and beautiful glowing highlights if that you know to get your uh, if you're aiming to get the most perfect negative to interpret it how you want so if you've got that flexible what they call that flexible negative if you want to print it as a high key type thing or a low key then you can do that or Mm -hmm. if you want to make a beautiful glowing print if you've got all the tonalities in there um, then, then you that's your starting point but you only know that through some kind of testing and then when you're out in the field make a note of how many stops there are between where you want your shadows and where you want your highlights. And then that'll inform your development regime when you get home. So yeah, by all means, write down F11 at, you know, um, one four hundredth of a second, but you know, it's, what, what does that tell you? Yep. That much. Nothing, nothing really. I not if you're, not if you're going in the dark room to make prints, it doesn't. So Simon, that's, that's me really. That's, um, that's about as exciting as it gets in the fens at the moment. So wh- what about you? What have, what have you been up to in Stokey land? <laughs> well, Stokey land. <laughs> well, um, what have I been doing? Oh, yeah. Um, well, since actually taking a photograph of Dave Shrimpton's, um, I've hardly stopped taking large format photos uh, since mm-hmm. actually I've been taking photographs of all sorts of things, actually, um, but um, with all sorts of cameras. Uh, but, yeah, hardly a week has gone by without making at least one exposure with a large format camera, uh, which is which is great. Um, the the first thing that I did um, was back in the uh, uh, the Six Towns darkroom in our in our studio because we were we were talking, we were thinking we should really use this studio. We've got a studio and we never use it. We just turn up, drink coffee, tea, and eat biscuits, um, and occasionally develop things. Um, but we've got the studio. Why don't we use it? Um, which then I was there thinking, okay, so we're going to do that. What should we do? And I was thinking, well, how about doing that flower photo that I talked about when we, we uh, had that chat with Clyde Butcher? Um, so it was a, 
at the time i couldn't actually work out what kind of photo i was even trying to take uh, was it high key was it just minimalist or or so on and uh, the idea is it's just uh, two two dead flower heads um or one depending on just how the composition would work out and so we decided to do we've got a white background uh drop it down um drape it over a table and then they would, and go over the front so it's effectively an infinity uh setup um and then it was also trying to like work out well how are we going to use flash and get a get a shadow as well with flash um and we'd never actually quite got to that point largely because uh um somebody had the uh, bright idea his name's graham jago of the sunny 16 podcast one goes why don't you use direct positive paper and to see how your uh, image is going to look and i thought well, that's a, that's a brilliant idea um didn't quite turn out that way because it just took forever to get my head around how direct positive paper works so i never actually yeah. got a, a photograph done on film and but i'll come on to that um but yeah so we had to go using direct positive paper which of course is like you know super slow uh we can rate it you know up to say three iso uh and in the end we just decided to just do it with uh constant lighting um and but but trying to like work out the correct exposure uh to do that to try and get the the background to be truly white um and not gray um it, that was tricky it was really tricky um, because, and um, we weren't sure if uh, reciprocity failure was going to kick in. Um, it's quite clear that um, reading the instructions was not, was not an option. Um, so uh, yeah, is that? exactly, exactly. So uh, we didn't look to see if it has reciprocity failure or not, although we decided probably doesn't. Um, although if it does, we're there thinking, hold on a second, is it reciprocity failure or is it the opposite? Because everything works backwards with this direct positive paper. And, uh, and I, I was, um, chatting to Robert Price in the darkroom as we were developing the first one, which really didn't work very well at all. And so, so what's the opposite of reciprocity failure if everything's backwards and, and we realise, well, that means it's reciprocity success. Um, and um, so we're not entirely sure if we did get reciprocity success. Um, it didn't seem to really happen. So we decided there was no such thing. Um, but anyway, we, we dialed it down and, we, and we, I think the exposure that worked best for us was like three minutes. And uh, it came out pretty good. I mean, I, I shared a photograph of it, and the internet liked it. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, that's that's not too bad at all. But what what we didn't get is um, is we're not sure if we actually had it in the developer for long enough. But we like lost part of the stems. Uh, but we wanted it to be high contrast and possibly high key. Um, but we didn't didn't quite get it right. But the principle was there, and it, and it looked it looked pretty much as I wanted it to do. Um, so we were we were quite encouraged by that, but we ran out of time uh, to go back and actually do that with film. Um, but that's something that um, I did this week, um, just a few a few days ago. Uh, not developed it yet, uh, but I we shot it on film this time. I used um, uh, Adox uh, CHS two hundred no the one hundred, um, which is sort of my favourite film because it it works really well in Rodinal. Uh, which I, I like using that. Um, so hopefully uh, that's going to work out. We took some pictures there digitally, and that that seemed to work. Um, and then I also started to do things with uh, with other cameras I've got, including a um, a contacts camera. But uh, I wanted to put, well, let's try it with an eighty-five millimeter lens, which was a, uh, was the the lens I was using on large format was a one fifty, so it was effectively a normal lens. Um, right. And so I thought, well, let's give it a go on on a on an eighty-five. Um, on on 35 mil and that completely 
messed with the uh, the positioning. I just simply could not get uh, everything in the way that I'd wanted to wanted to be. It'd either be too tight to to or I'd, I'd had too much of the edge of the uh, the table in the shot and so on. And in the end, uh, I realised I'm just going to have to get more height. And I actually found out what the fullest extent of, of what my uh, my tall boy uh, tripod. Uh, could actually do, and the thing goes actually so high, I had to actually stand on step ladders to actually reach the top of it. Um, so that was that was a, a a good experience. Explains why the thing's so damn heavy when I actually carry it around because it will actually go to about twelve foot tall. It's just, just I was going to say it was impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, so yeah. So uh, next next Tuesday, I'll be looking at uh, developing those, and uh, fing- fingers crossed they they've worked. Um, and I took some other pictures. Oh, yeah. Um, last week I went out with uh, Mikel Teckel, uh, who's somebody I, I go out occasionally into the Peak District, uh, which is a, a, a very nice area in, uh, in in Britain and England. And um, and I was... I'm getting some interference. Has somebody got some interference? That would be you. Yeah, it is me. Let's just move this camera away, the uh, phone away. No, it's still there. That's better. He says we're soft. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, and he lured uh, me out. So I was thinking about, do I really want to go out? And he goes, uh, well, I'm going to be shooting some Velvia and you can have a sheet. I'm thinking, oh, my word. Somebody's actually going to lend me a sheet of, uh, of Velvia 50. Um, so, or, or give me a sheet. That's a better way of putting it. So, uh, um, so, so yeah, so I, I, was, I was forced to go out uh, for, a, for a sunset. And uh, to me, it's a bit of a shame, really, because the the, the light just never really happened. I mean, sometimes sunsets could be amazing, but uh, this just didn't really happen. But it was a really nice night, and it was it was great just to be actually out with somebody in 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 the wild and being able to talk cameras and large formats. Did you shoot the sheep? Uh, we didn't shoot any sheep. No, uh, you just shot this. You just shot the sheep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there weren't actually. Uh, yeah, there weren't actually any sheep in that particular part of the Peak District. Um, but um, so I, I, in the end, I didn't uh, shoot uh, the Velvia. Um, I, honestly, did you get to keep it? No, no, it, 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 it went back. I, to be honest, it was a case of well, if I'm going to be going to be shooting a sheet of it was long expired by the way um uh Vel- velvia film i want it to count i want it to be like the golden moment that the you know the angels are going to come out and you know people will be singing and 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 so on um so i knew that wasn't going to happen that night um but what was what was interesting he, he um Mikel took quite a few shots on on this velvia 50 and when he, he shared the uh the, the phone scans of them um I was shocked about how purple uh, they came out. Yeah. And apparently that's a thing. And I just was not expecting so much purple. So just, just that you're, you're nodding your head, head there, Eric. So is that, a, is that a thing? Yep. Yeah. Sorry, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Velvia can, can, especially expired Velvia, I believe, can tend to pick up purple quite a bit. Like, so like those sunsets, like, and whatever, depending on the light, like it, it really picks up purple tints quite a bit. I haven't shot it in five kidzillion years, but, um, but yeah, no, which surprise me. 50, 50, four by five. Yeah. One of them, the shadows go a bluey purpley tone, don't they? The, when it, when the, if you watch any of, uh, Ben Horn's videos, when he's shooting with it or, or a hundred, 
um, he talks, and probably if you go back and listen to the podcast when we interviewed him, he talks about that. I'm sure he does in the shadow areas. It picks up that bluey, purpley color. I was doing research on your Harmon Direct positive paper, and I've got some observations to make when you're when you're finished chatting about color film. <laughs> okay, well, actually, there's I've I've, I've kind of pretty much finished about to, uh, talking about that. Although it's probably worth mentioning uh, the 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 news, the breaking news this week uh, about Volvia 100 in in America. Um, that, that it's been pulled uh, by by Fuji, and yes. um, because it's something contains... to do with the, chemi- the chemicals that's used to make it. Or yeah, there's a, yeah. a trace amount of uh, a highly toxic material um, in the film, and really? it. Yeah, yeah, really. And me. I, it's interesting. Like, I'm but you don't eat it, it, do you? Well, yeah, but it still comes out into the chemistry into the water and everything. It's still a thing, right? So well, yeah. I mean, Teflon, you know, killing farmers' cows. What's a bit of photochemistry compared that, that, with all that, those that, that doesn't make it right, though, does it? But um, yeah. not particularly. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but it, it's you know. it is that it is that thing about the It's not necessarily how much there is in the film itself. It's about how how it got there, how it was processed, and and and, and so on. And if it's something's particularly bad, then it may yes, it might not be causing you any problem here when you're picking the film up. But where it was made, it may if it wasn't dealt with properly, which you assume it would be. Um, I mean, you make a lot of assumptions about big corporations yeah, doing exactly. things right, and they're probably wrong. Let's just put that out there. The corporations don't exist to do things the right way; they exist to make a shit ton of money, and that's that's the long and the short of it. Yeah. Any belief otherwise is folly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, um, it's it, it it it's a shame, but that's uh, ultimately that's in America, and everyone yeah. else can still get. Everywhere else, you're, everywhere else you're good. And actually, even if you get in the United States, then the challenge becomes uh, labs that will be willing to take the risk to process it. Because if the lab is found processing it, then they're also essentially dealing with that highly toxic chemical, and then their chemistry has that highly toxic chemical in it, and becomes a problem of disposal, right? I would have thought that it's more from a selling perspective rather than a using perspective. But then again, I, I don't know how the law works I mean, over there. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure you can get it like shipped from like if you guys ship me some of that film, I highly doubt any like customs or anybody's going to pick it up and be like, "This is you know." Oh, it's like, Fuji Fifty. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's a million ways you can get it sent to the states from friends or whatever. Right? It's just a question of if labs are willing to take the risk. You of can develop it at home, it. can't you? Yeah, I you can do that too. If you're set up to do it, yeah. I'm not. I just I'm actually assume anything color is going to go to a lab because I just I'm just not set up to to develop color at home. Um but yeah, I think that's the other further risk isn't just, you know, um selling it, it's what happens when you develop it. So the labs themselves have to deal with if they were able to actually develop it here, deal with um additional steps to make sure that their their leftover process, their byproduct, whatever it is, is, you know, um gotten rid of in a safe manner. And it's probably just too much of an expense, honestly, for what little Velvia 50 they get. Mm. Right. Oh. That's why Kodachrome went away. Kodachrome is toxic as Yeah. You know, Kodachrome is beautiful, but the, the process of Kodachrome is incredibly toxic for, for the development. So, 
I mean, way more than Fuji 50, by the way. Like Fuji, the value of 50, it is really trace minuscule amounts. Like genuinely, I'm not, like, to Andrew's point, it's like tiny, itty bitty, itty bitty microscopic amounts. It is sort of an eye rolling, like sort of moment. But Kodachrome was like terrible. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to, because I, I, I said fifty at one point. It's, it's a hundred. Fifty's, fifty's okay. You can eat fifty. Uh, okay, um, but uh, Ooh, don't, cool. don't, yeah, <laughs> not, not the, not the hundred. I know what I'm having for lunch. Yeah, um, this reminds me of like radioactive lenses. They're absolutely fine, but just don't lick them. Exactly. Um, yeah, um, and I'm not joking. That's 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 broadly speaking true is talking about russian and radiation and this has nothing to do with photography but it's really interesting so uh, being nearly as um well no i'm, I'm not fully cheapskate am i because i've just spent 50 bucks on a stufa step wedge thing <laughs> but i sponge off a couple of people for sky and uh, so a mate of mine i get sky go and my daughter i sponge off for disney plus uh, so uh, i was while we were away in the caravan we started watching Chernobyl, you know, on Sky. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. Uh, five episodes. And because I remember, um, I was about 20, I think, being on a bus coming back from my training center as a young engineer, when the, react the news of the reactor going up in smoke was, le was leaking through. But um, watching, we've watched four episodes, I think, maybe got the last one to do or five and got the last one to do. Each one, my jaw, is, I've just dropped at the way, you know, this is what the Soviet state was like. And these are the cover-ups. And, you know, they, they, they've got firemen handling bits of graphite on, on, the, roof of the, on the roof of the reactor building because the cores exploded. And, 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 the, yeah. and the apparatchniks are saying, no, it hasn't. It's just been a minor radiation leak. You know, and, and, uh, have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. About radio I, I mean, it puts radioactive lenses into a cocked hat, doesn't it? Yeah. Goodness me. Very scary. Definitely. Um, Hartman well, Direct Positive. I've got, do you want to listen to my observations yeah, about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, go for yeah. it. I love that stuff, by the way. Stuff's so super fun. I just wish you could push it to like 25 to a usable ISO. But so please. looking at the – when you're printing with normal paper in the darkroom, um, we started off a little while ago talking about subject brightness range. So you can – you. A, f a film like HP5, for example, could probably capture something like ten stops of of, of exposure. You know, from an FP4, um, probably eight. So, you know, ironically, HP5 is, you could argue, is much better film for bright light conditions. But that's kind of counterintuitive. But once you get into the print, you're probably down to five stops of of flexibility in the paper something like that. But with this Harman direct positive, I was just looking at the characteristic curves and the characteristic curve is just um, shining a light through, uh, well, if it's film, shining a light through film and depending on how much light is transmitted through, you then take the, the log of the relative density and it's just a way of, of showing uh, exposure against density in a way which is kind of readable. So in terms of log exposures on these graphs, if you see a relative log of exposure of one and then the next one along is two, and so I'm looking at the Harman Direct Positive RC paper. RC paper? I thought it was fiber paper. Anyway. Mm, um, so too. Yeah, yeah, I think it's maybe fiber. it used to be RC. But anyway, so I'm looking at yeah. this characteristic curve, which definitely says RC paper. Hmm. But I, I imagine the characteristic curve is much the same. It shows 
um, a maximum density of two, which is you know pretty 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 good black, and all the way down to sort of zero. But more importantly, in terms of exposure range between maximum black and white, it's something like I was try, trying to work it out off the graph, something like one point two five um, to one point seven. So that's only about that's that's about a stop and a half. So point three on these scales is a stop. So one point two five to one point seven, one point eight, maybe two stops. You know, that's what you're playing with. So when people talk about this paper being super contrasty, and when you look at the characteristic curve, the slope of the graph, the slope of the graph gives you an idea of how contrasty it is. And this this slope yeah. is virtually upright. <laughs> Whereas a paper, a paper, a normal paper or film would would have a gentle S curve quite often. So the, the, you just got so a little bit of knowledge about sensitometry and reading graphs is really is really kind of helpful. So that suggests you've only got a couple of stops to play with, Simon, when you're trying to nail this exposure, which is why some people um, pre-flash it and and that and the Harman. Um, Oh, there's a separate bit here for fiber base below. I don't know if the curve is the same. Anyway, so the, the Harman PDF talks about the technique for pre-flashing. And Rachel Brewster-Wright talks about it in her recent Ilford video as well. So that, ex- that pre-flashing, it does give you some extra tones um, to make it less contrasty. So does that mean that if you were going to shoot paper in camera... Right, that you're just better off shooting an RC paper negative because the curve is is wider, is friendly, mm. you get, get, get more tonality. Well, it's a different, it's a, a different, a it's a different beast. It's a different beast. Yeah, you will have to, on a normal RC paper if you're shooting paper negative, you will have more tonal range. But then, um, you know, you're getting a different look with a paper negative, aren't you? Because you've then got to con- either scan it and reverse it, or you've got to, um, or you, or you positive. Or you positive develop it. Or you positive develop it. It's not that it's not actually that hard. No. So yeah, I think paper negatives are probably the way to go. A lot of people direct positive is, is is a lovely idea, but it can be a pig to work with. You know, yeah. Shoot it on a you know, if you if you shoot it on a on a dull day when there's not much contrast out, then you're probably into quite long exposures as well. So that's or you just, if you want to go for that real soot and whitewash, I mean, the the one Rachel uses as illustrating is a extremely high contrast picture with the highlights are just washed out completely. And then when she shows another example of uh, of the paper when it's been pre-flashed, um, that it's still pretty contrasty, you know, but probably pro- probably bet probably less so. And I don't think there is a real reciprocity issue with it. There certainly isn't with normal paper. Um, I don't think it talks about reciprocity anywhere in here, um, but it's a really it, it can be a really fun paper to work with. And the pictures on the on the Harmon website on the Ilford website, a lot of them shown really blown out highlights. But there are some where the tonality is really nice, and it's either because the weather conditions were a bit dull, or they've pre-flashed it, I guess, or you. If you want to go for that high key look, and there's a some kind of flower, Simon, and I'm holding it up to the camera, but you viewers at home can't see that, of course, listen to home. There's a if you're looking to record pure black and pure white, probably uh, just put your exposure bang in the middle and 
have the stops, the range of lighting to give you maybe three stops of lighting, and you're probably going to get a high key result, I, I guess. Um, but it, it's something you, a lot of people use it in pinhole and get some cracking results. Yeah. Um, and I've used it. I've used it in a large format camera on location. I did some portraits of a friend of mine, Kath Cartman in Norwich, and it was a bright day, but overcast. And I, I did some portraits of her um, by the, by the river and they came out beautiful. They, they came out really, really well. Beautiful pictures with a fair degree of tonality, no blown out highlights. I didn't, I didn't pre-flash it, but it was, you know, a limited tonal range kind of day. So it can work. It can work really well. well uh, when, but you are, our, you are talking about a very limited range of yeah. exposure on the paper before you either go black or you go fully white, you know? Yeah. I, th- I think it was, it was a, a difficult subject for it, but, um, but uh, Robert Price, who was, who was with us that night, um, he took a photograph of uh, what I was expecting to see, quite a dull photograph of a bowl and a, and a, and a fork in the bowl with some uh, particular uh, some hard shadows going on. And uh, he, he, he used it. I haven't seen his film shots yet, uh, but he, he used the, uh, a, a sheet of mine, uh, the direct positive, and the, the shot he got. And, and it's in, he, he, I, think, I think he posted it in our, our group as well. Um, but it's extraordinary. I mean, I, you know, the, from what I actually, what we expected to see and what I actually got, it was a case of you didn't expect that, did you? And he says no, and it, it was just just amazing. Um, so there are some things. It, it's it's definitely a film where you know it's, it's a, a paper that it's it's worth experimenting, doing different things uh, because you mm. can get some incredible results. But you just it's replicating why did that look so good. And then trying to like dial dial down into uh, why why that particularly worked well and and why some things don't. So uh, it's a bit like what we were talking about earlier with the uh, densitometry and, and and so on about learning your film. Well, yeah, learn your paper as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, that's 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 my shooting and uh, <laughs> my <laughs> my film. Sorry, my image image making. You know, we don't say I've said shoot too many times in this podcast. We're not allowed to do that. Um, it's not that we're not allowed. It just feels weird. It does. It does. Um, and the other, the other thing that I've been doing, I have, I've been making uh, quite a few lens boards for people. Um, in particular, um, projection lenses. Uh, we're going on to MPP cameras and things like that, um, which is great fun. Um, so uh, a few people have been you, sending those to me. You need to make a sixty-five millimeter M sixty-five by body cap. Yep. Nobody makes them except for Raphael in in uh, Russia, and they're like twenty five bucks a pop. Yeah, when you say that, is that the, what you're talking for? Which camera in particular? What's that Pent- Pentacon Six, by any chance? Um, no, it's actually for uh, a Fuji GFX one hundred. Oh right, I'm with you. I'm I'm building need- a, a lens a, a lens with speaking projection lenses with a beautiful Bosch and Lom or Bosch Lom projector lens. Um, it's going to be about a 75 millimeter, 70 millimeter with like a 65 millimeter back focal length. Mm-hmm. And in order to actually get a barrel that works right, you need to use the M65 standard. Yeah. So I have an M65 to GFX adapter that I picked up. And then the proper M65 uh, length additional sort of macro barrel, but then mounting the, um, the projector lens onto the end of that M65 
barrel, right? Is a giant yeah. pain in the butt. And if there was just an M65 body cap, I could just screw that in there, yeah. cut a hole, put it in there. Fine. But nobody makes a bloody thing. Probably because yeah. there's no such thing as an M65 camera. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, in, in theory, it's not, it isn't, it isn't that difficult. I've, I've just made, um, funnily enough, I've actually just made such a, such a body cap, but, but for M42, and that's uh, Nick, Nikon, Nikon. Uh, yeah, like, like, I, like you and I have talked about. Yeah, Thank you very much. And I've, I've just, uh, so I've, I've just, just, just made that. Um, the fact for, for most people that can't see anything, I'm just going to show it to Eric. <laughs> and I've got a, a, a red uh, body cap, which will un unscrew the helicoid out of. So this locks into place as well, because that's quite important. When you do a body mm -hmm. cap that you're going to convert it, it needs to lock in place. Um, and then I've got that attached to a, an M42 helicoid, um, which will then go onto it. And then I've got a, a Duquesne projection lens going into that. Um, the so yeah, so I, I could do it. There's only one problem: is I need the camera, and uh, <laughs> I happen not to have a uh, a, a medium format uh, digital Fuji camera. Actually, all you really no, I've got. It's not even that. Like the what it really needs is just the M65 by one body cap. That's yeah, it. but. Well, yeah, that's that's converting an existing an existing cap, but I'd rather make the whole thing from scratch, yeah. and um, and I need the camera body, um, which is a bit of a shame, really. But there you go. Yeah, One day, they're beautiful cameras. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that's that's what I've been up. Uh, not one of the only things I've been up to, but um, yeah, that's the lens I've been making lately. It should be done by the end of this weekend um, and shipped off, I think. Um, it's going to be a really pretty portrait lens, I think, like a 75 millimeter f4 uh, for a Fuji GFX 100. Because uh, I love those Fuji GFXs. It's the only, sorry folks, it's the only digital digital sensor. Like the GFX 50 is so bloody good. I can't imagine what the 100 is like. Uh, those are the only digital cameras. Like I actually would genuinely, if I had the Dosh, would buy. Like they're they're so so good. Uh, especially with non-standard lenses, projector lenses, like look me format lenses, large format lenses. Those sensors are just really, really nice. Yeah. Um, and they're fun cameras to shoot. They're a bit heavy, but I mean, if you're used to shooting medium format, like Pentacons or anything else that they're, they're not that big of a deal. Um, so yeah, yeah, they're pretty dope. And, and these projector lenses, these barrels, they're so pretty. Yeah. They're really nice. You know, they're well, they're well manufactured. They work really well. And they're just, they're gorgeous. They're really, really pretty. They're fun to work with. They make gorgeous lenses. I'm going to start buying these empty projector old, like early 1900s projector barrels as many of as I can find because they work really well for making lenses. Yeah. Really, really well for making lenses. And they're just, they're simple. They're functionally clean. And again, they're pretty, they're really pretty. So, um, and this is taking some 42 millimeter lens elements. So it makes a, a, a pretty, pretty decent coverage lens. Um, so, and a fast one too. Like if I didn't stop this down, it'd be a 75 millimeter F 1.8 completely useless, not sharp anywhere except for like a tiny pin in the middle. But uh, anyways, boring. Um, and then that, I guess I'm just trying to figure out how to print orotones. Yeah. Uh, so having a dark room. How's yeah. about orotones? <laughs> what about orotones, Andrew? Do you know what they are? Like how far? Uh, how far they back? Were, they were made. They were originally made famous by Edward Curtis. Indeed. Exactly. I'm only reading that because I'm reading your post. 
Ah, uh, well, uh, and he did his own special vari- variation marketing, really called Kurt Tones, as one did to differentiate oneself back in the 1800s. Uh, essentially, it's an, it's an old printing process where um, you use a special type of shellac. They used to call it banana oil because once the chemistry was on and mixed up, it smelled distinctly of bananas. Uh, but they didn't actually use oil of bananas. It just smelled that way. Uh, that was impregnated with gold and copper. And they backed the, the glass print with that. And it gave it this incredible, uh, this incredible effect on the prints. Like when you see an orotone in a museum or whatnot, like they, they glow, they literally just glow um, because it's a glass print backed by gold. Usually actually they say it was gold, but it was mostly copper because gold was expensive. So it was a mix of copper and gold. Um, and once those, those glass prints were in the frame, they never came out. The frame was part of it because the, there's, a, there's a chance that the whole thing would peel off and you'd lose the orotone on the back. So what are you, in this post you've made, you're, you're holding some positives, but they don't look like, don't look like unless it's just the trick of the light it looks like film or something because it's yeah yeah i don't really have the ability i don't have a dark room and i don't have the 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 talent honestly to like put gelatin on glass or mix Mm -hmm. chemistry um which is how our tones are genuinely done so Mm -hmm. i'm doing completely lowbrow and uh my first tests were done with uh speaking of earlier of um of those step wedges, it's just uh, transparency from t-shirt printing. Buy it in an art store, just just cheap transparency for making t-shirts. I mean, but ten bucks for six sheets of it, and it's inkjet. So I've printed out uh, positives on that with my photo printer. Right, and then the interesting thing though is they're not very dense. So you, if you want to get any density, you actually need to have two of them to get any density of detail. Um, and then just start experimenting with that. Uh, my original idea was to take them and like place them on a sheet of copper, right? An eight by 10 sheet of copper etching that they use for printmaking, um, which I still might do. Um, it has a lot of possibilities, but then I also as an experiment wanted to see what would happen if I painted the, because the, the image is printed on the front of the transparency which allows you to do things on the back of the transparency as well. So I just mass that off and used uh, two different spray paints, copper and gold, and just did a couple coats of that on the back to see if that gave me a different effect than, than layering it onto a piece of copper. Hmm. Um, and it does. It actually looks a bit better if you, if you paint the back. Hmm. Um, so, but then it also darkens the image a bit so um, I printed like a light gold transparency to lay over that to both give it in image density in terms of details, but also to lighten the image up a little bit and give it a little bit more pop. Um, and it, it's coming out, coming out, it's coming out okay. It's coming out pretty well. And more importantly, it's importantly for me, it's coming out pretty well. And it's something I can afford and I can do, um, which are always, always drivers for me. <laughs> so are these... Are these from your car project that you're doing with drive plates, you know, your yeah. American cars. So you've, you're scan, <clears throat> you're scanning one of your drive plates into your computer yep. and then you're printing it out onto 
um, transparency film. Exactly. And spray painting the back of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, what's interesting with it, the, it and I've been, meaning, mm. I've been meaning to do something like this with friends of mine who are, who are visual artists, painters, or illustrators, is it allows you, theoretically, to hand off transparencies of your images and then have people draw or paint on them or behind yeah. them and yeah. layer them like an animation cell. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I figured, well, why not just take that and, and apply that to well, the conversation? Creative ideas. So exactly. on this, the last two pictures where you're kind of nailing it, there's that sort of, I don't know what color that is. I'm going to call it purple, but it's not purple. There's a purple and a gold one. I like both of them, to be honest. I suppose, you know, the, the, the coppery one um, is more traditional, but I quite like the one before it, the one with the sort of purple tones. But then yeah. you've got this. You've got a couple of pictures before that. Is that kind of work in progress? There's one yeah, which is totally. kind of kind of quite thin with not, not a lot of detail. And the th- yeah. And then there's this. I don't know what you're holding up. The third. The third one, which just looks like a sheet of. <sighs> so those are <laughs> those one. are. Yeah, that's just a sheet of copper. It's it's oh. it's it's you use uh, it's it's copper etching sheet. You get it at okay. art supply stores. You use it for printmaking. So were so you? Then, so did you? Have you? So is one of these pictures your um, photograph laid up against that copper sheet, yeah, and another exactly. one with spray? So which one? Which is the one with the spray paint on the back? The, the, the second the series. One? The second series. Okay. The last one of the second series. The first series is with the copper etching sheet behind right, it. Right. 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 Um, and then that light yellow one is the one that actually helps give it a little more pop. I was curious to see what happened if I tried to actually just print it as an orotone and. With with the image in gold, and then lay it on like a black background. See what happens with that, right? Like, why not? Um, sort of a weird gold amber type, you know, yellow. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's interesting. It's coming along. Um, uh, the next step is to actually buy genuine photographic transparency, like what you use for printing out uh, digital negatives. It's called. So Pictographica and some others make this it's fully clear. It, it handles more detail. It handles more in, ink density and will give a higher quality yeah. transparency image. Well, I've tried once to make a, um, a large digital negative and I just mm-hmm. gave up because it seemed far too much like hard work. So, but I, I had some, I had a this box. This from the man who's it. got a Stouffer wedge coming. Like, yeah, I know. Well, this is, I think that's easy. And Matt Marash did a nice video showing me what to do. But fair. in my cupboard that way is a box of overhead projector transparency film. Uh, you know, yeah. Some of you children might be young enough to remember an overhead projector. And I know folks print out on that, uh, but I, I just had a terrible trouble with it. It didn't seem to want to print out. I don't know whether it has two different surfaces Someone suggested it might have a matte surface and a glossy surface. Maybe I was using the wrong side, and I thought no, it's just, it, it was just came out as a horrible mess. So I think that's more to do with um, probably more to do with the transparency film I was using. Well, if it comes out as a horrible gloppy mess, it was printed on the wrong side because one yeah. side will absorb ink and yeah. one side won't. Okay, as learned by hard experience by me the other day when it came out, it was just like puddles of ink, and yeah. I was like, oh, wrong side up. Okay. That didn't work well. I have to clean my printer because mm. it's just puddles of ink. It's just, it was at the inside of the printer. Like it's bad. It's not something you want to do. Um, it, I'm, I'm full of admiration for for the folks who, who do this. And I know people like, um, um, 
Steve Segersby, who was on the show really early on, spent hours and hours, you know, coming up with calibrations for his platinum palladium yeah. print process, you know, trying to nail the, the proper um, the proper negative that he produces digitally. Yeah, people and, it, and it's it's great, you know, because the platinum palladium process is very delicate and produces a beautiful range of tones, but it needs working at. Uh, and digital negatives, I think, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. I think these days, if I wanted to get into it, I could do. But do you know what? I just, I've got enough to worry about in the darkroom, let alone sitting yeah. in front of a computer doing digital negatives. You haven't got a darkroom, so you can no. put your energies into this kind of but, but I don't really, even really, really creative stuff. And I think they look great, Eric. So, But I don't really well want to put in fact, much both of you, Both of you get um, my applause of the week <laughs> for your... Um, Playing around with large formatty things, you know. <laughs> I haven't shot. I've, a, I've shot one two seven film. Yeah, I haven't shot a sheet in like over a month, so mm. you know, don't, well, don't give me too much credit. But yeah. um, well, at least, you're, definitely... at least you're at least you're moving yourselves out of your comfort zones. There's a lot of people doing really interesting things in the Facebook group. I'm full yeah. of admiration for all the yeah, weirdness, sure. all the weirdness that goes on. A lot of it I don't <laughs> fully understand. Yeah, and just to, to be clear, I'm definitely not going to spend hours and hours perfecting the the transparency output. Like, no, well, I won't make you an expert just yet. No, no, that's not that's not my modus operandi no. by any bloody stretch of the imagination. No. Um, like I said, I'm going to to get the the higher end Pictographica. Uh, Pictora, whatever the brand is, uh, yep. digital negative specific transparencies, and see if I can get a little more clarity, more image. Uh, there's a photo local photo show coming up. Uh, they run every year where they just pick a color and say, "Send us photos that have something to do with that color." And that was actually why I decided to pick these back up again. I've been wanting to do these for literally years, five, six years. These have fascinated me, but really, it's just to see if I can get an image into the yellow show. Um, in Jan Watton's gallery, I was like, "Ah, yellow." Well, you've done sure. well. That last one, that last one, I think is great. Yeah, uh, we, we um, were talking before we came on air. I don't know what um, how long we're going to witter on for, but <laughs> Lee, we can um, witter on for hours. Lee Lee Lira, we were chatting about his work that he's been doing in the in the large format photography Facebook group, and he's been kicking stuff backwards and forwards with uh, Jason Lane. Uh, working on a sort of tin type type process where the development process reduces the exposed silver in the glass plate down to a metallic white as right. opposed to a metallic black. And Eric, well, you, you had some objections. Is it metallic black or more metallic gray? I'm going to find his post again. I think I'm well, metallic it. white is what, he, is what it reduces down to as opposed yeah. to metallic because when you, when you, a normal development process, it, goes to a black doesn't it right um yeah and his whole point i guess at, at some point in time this is a historic process and now i've got to i've got to find that post again to really properly nerd out about it um there it is the and this is where like we're going to completely slaughter his name sorry lee lira lyra lira mm. we're just gonna go with lira right L-I-R-A. Lyra, yeah yeah lira is from uh golden compass isn't she well, you know oh yeah fair 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 nice good drop good reference uh anyways apparently at some point in time this was a historical process that sort of like popped up for less than a decade uh because he refers to it as a long lost process hmm. um 
The Tempster reduced silver halide to a whitish silver metal, in this case, ammonium thiocyanate. Cyanate. Right. Um, very chancy thing. Um, and he's hoping to bring along this so it's just as stable of a process as developed with Triax and HC110. But they're really beautiful. And the thing about it is essentially he's trying to do a different type of amber type, right? And the thing with amber types is that the exposure has to be really thin for the light reflecting back off of the black material to render a positive image. And amber types don't end up getting a lot of detail as a result. Like when you look at amber type portraits, they're not like these ridiculously like, like highly detailed, sharp, amazing things. It was just a really quick, inexpensive. It was the only way to get a positive back in the day. Right. But they're not amazing images. These negatives, if you go into the Facebook group, folks are highly detailed. They're mm. really nice. Like they're really nice. It's hard to believe that there's some sort of amber type. Oh, sorry. Amber type type of thing. Um, and yes. Oh, a little bit of background noise. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> some things are happening in the background. Heather, Heather woke up when she's doing some stuff. I didn't think the, the mic detail, the detail is amazing. <laughs> I, I can only point people if you're a Facebook person and you're in the Facebook group to yeah. look up Lee's posts yeah. and read the comments as well. Cause folks are asking questions and Jason Lane chimes in. Uh, saying yeah. that this, you know, he's been kicking ideas backwards and forwards with uh, with, with Lee for a while. Yeah, he and Jason and they hope to make a, a commercial a commercial product out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at some point. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Um, between that and uh, Ethan over at the Homemade Camera Podcast, and is working on like sixteen by twenty or whatever twenty by twenty four ginormous. Yeah, I saw that uh, positive processing, which he busted one out. In studio, yeah. by the way, it looked really good, didn't it? Damn impressive, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there's been a lot of really interesting innovation going on with with large format positives, mm. right? Like making positive images with large format uh, through various means. It's pretty cool. Yeah, well, as I said, I'm awestruck by the uh, you know the, the, th- the things that folks are getting on with. Greg Obster's. Did an interesting post on uh, DIY lenses, which is right up your street, Eric. I think you probably. <laughs> yeah, someone. Uh, a cake a mold woman. and epoxy resin. Yeah. How to make your own lenses with cake mold. And epoxy. M O L D. Yeah, that is right, isn't it? And epoxy. DIY. I haven't read the article, but you, um, you, you said, hmm, and did that emoji, which <laughs> has got a quizzical face on like that. Quizzical face. Yeah, yeah. Well, essentially, if you get a clear enough epoxy, you can make a lens. And so this woman is just like grabbing cake molds that will make a particular type of lens and just very carefully experimenting with with pouring epoxy and getting as clear of a of a, essentially a cake as you can. And they're, they're ginormous, like they're it's a it's a bloody cake. Um, and then just taping that thing to a board with a hole in it. And putting it on her eight by ten camera, and she makes some nice images. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the approximate focal length of those are, but she's like six inches, you know, from her topic, from her subject. So I'm I'm assuming that the actual focal length of these lenses is super short. They're like sixty millimeter, you know, they're short. Uh, but it, I thought it might be interesting to make molds using uncemented acromats. Right, so make a a little mold of a crown and a flint, 
using an unsubmitted Acromat and then using those moles to pour epoxy and try to make an epoxy version of those Acromats, uh, which probably would come out disastrously and would be a giant waste of time, but it would be entertaining. And some, another gentleman, I think it's gentleman, I can't actually pronounce his name, I'm really sorry, uh, but you've commented on it or you've done a, a thumbs up on it. He shared a YouTube, his name is NEJC, I've no idea, Nech, NEJC, Uranka. And he says, after my recent post on glass positives, many of you were interested in how it's done. This is why I've decided to make an in-depth video tutorial for everyone. So he, he shares a link to what's called photo photo on glass. So I don't know whether he's talking about amber types. I've not looked at it, but um, you've liked it, Eric. So I don't know whether you've looked at that video. But um, NEJC is his first he's name. He's producing a lot of work actually it might be somebody we might want to have on depending on um well we'll have it on the fun difference. of getting simon to announce his name that's true uh, that's <laughs> true but he's been producing a ton of of stuff and he's starting to sell his own glass plates as well and whatnot but he's been producing a lot of really really high quality uh, video so content it, well, glass plate like like jason's and also like lost light art that fellow as yeah. well he's doing it yep. as well oh, there's a yeah. few people doing there's a real resurgence isn't there yeah there is there is um it's been nice you know and jason's opening up a physical location so is he's he? been yeah yeah right. he's, he's, he signed that. a lease he's really? actually have a physical location for photographic uh, up in uh new hampshire i believe it's new hampshire right hmm. um so it's getting big enough where he's needs to have a production facility slash uh order fulfillment slash i think a small art gallery and maybe a dark room or he's had a really good couple of years of his day job and he wants to burn through a bunch of money and not send his kids to college. Yeah. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> Considering the fact that his kid is fundraising for her art supplies by selling candles, it might be the latter. <laughs> well, keep posting the interesting things in the Facebook group because uh, I love looking at them even if I haven't followed all the links yet. Yeah, I will yet. do. But you will. Tim Layton posts in as well. So Tim's a very knowledgeable, clever guy when it comes to all things darkroom. Yeah. He shared something of his darkroom diaries on YouTube. Yeah, Tim's excellent. So, I don't know, are we, are we sort of running out of the catch-up? We are, yeah. I'm just idly yeah. flicking through the large format yeah. probably because well, it's, um, you know, <laughs> is it unless you've got anything else to say, Eric. Uh, not, not really. I mean, I would, I would like to shoot more i'm still waiting on and it's probably a good thing i haven't got any phone calls but there hasn't been any activity on the fire project because none of the the nonprofits i'm working with have been affected by any fires which is a good thing i'm you know i'm actually okay with not shooting a single frame for that project because mm. that means nobody's been burnt out and the yeah, fire season sure. hasn't been calamitous uh so that's just in a in a steady wait state i guess yeah. um but I am feeling, I guess, a bit of an inch to try to produce some sort of meaningful work. It's been 18 or 19 months since I shot the story in Oklahoma. Um, and I haven't done f all since. So. Well, you're working on your car project, aren't you? Which is an interesting yeah, concept. It's it? interesting, but it's not, you know, like, I don't know. You get yourself off on your bike on another road trip. Yeah, I don't know when that's going to happen. Um, hell freezes over at this point. So, um, yeah. So feeling a bit of a rut. So not much more. Not much more to talk about. Okay. Well, we've 
we've got well we've had a few emails but i think only really one of them is um, oh, man. To, 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 to to go out <laughs> really one we're going to read out yeah it's, and and it's a good one it is have we have we got time for it it's, yeah it's, go on it's it's a long one you want me to hit it it it's, seems like we've a... been talking for a long time but that's because we were we were chatting for nearly an hour before you pressed record yeah okay okay um well just just you know um, those, those people that can see the uh the, the the feed which is only the three of us um at some point uh, my wife's going to come in with some burgers that she's made Ooh, <laughs> i've got to go and make fajitas yeah at, at, at some point I, I will i will be eating uh, while we're having this uh this discussion next so i uh, just thought i'd warn you on that one um so yeah let's 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 do our um our appropriately readable email <laughs> well we we have a bit of a novel uh, which is not a bad thing, from uh, Jahanzeb Harun from Pakistan. And uh, Jahanzeb, hopefully I didn't completely slaughter your name. If so, apologies. Um, and the subject is analog scene in Pakistan. Hey, LFPP. Sorry for the delay in writing this email. Dude, it's totally fine. It's a long one with grammatical errors, so please bear with me. Analog is dead in Pakistan. Well, compared to the, the States and EU, at least. Digital started to take hold in Pakistan around the mid-2000s, and by the 2010s, shops were chucking their analog equipment out to anyone who would buy it, which usually meant it went to the guy dealing in scraps buying equipment based on weight. The stores which didn't adapt ran out of business and are now, and now there is only one shop in the whole country where you can find used analog equipment, albeit in a terrible state. The guy's main earning is through selling picture frames, and there's still a technician or two who will do minor repairs to make cameras functional. But if you want a proper CLA, you better possess the skills yourself. Even pre-digital, the studios focused on medium format, the MIA RBs and RZs, and the general public used either 35mm or medium format. Russian and Chinese cameras filled the market, plenty of Zenith and Seagull TLRs due to their affordability, and Yashica TLRs for quality. In the 90s, this got replaced for low-end Japanese point-and-shoots, but you could find Rollies and a few Hasselblads owned by enthusiasts, the rarest being Leicas. Fair. There have only been a handful of large format users, mostly the two oldest studios, Zaidais and Bahatis, using them commercially. The latter used a super speed graphic, while Zaidai, Z-A-I-D-I, Zaidais, had an arsenal of large format equipment and lenses. Currently only the owner, the current owner of Zaidais, Shahid Zaidai, does large format photography in his own time and for his personal projects. He is the only person other than myself that I'm aware of practicing it. There used to be a local camera maker who would build large format cameras, similar to the Thornton Pickard cameras, with book form holders for dry plates, probably a trade he learned from his own father, but he has long passed away. I started to learn on a whole plate camera made by him, which I found in a rather decrepit state. In the past five years, starting with the hipster movement here in Pakistan, the, internet, the interest in analog photography has reawakened amongst the elite youth who are more in sync with Western friends, but is still very niche. And the number of people who have retained the interest beyond it being a fad can be counted on your fingers. So wait, is that my fingers, 10, or our accumulated fingers, 30? Hopefully it's 30. If Equipment you're in the fens, if you're in the fens, most people have six fingers on each hand. <laughs> and you're just telling me the water's good there. Lies. I was trying to do the water, Eric. <laughs> Oh, stop. <laughs> Continuing. <laughs> Equipment is hard to come by. But when it does, it does come cheap. 
Film, if you are lucky to find any, mostly 35 millimeter, is expired and usually from the 2000s to 2010s or the 90s. The film has been kept in opener stacked in boxes, exposed to temperatures to 40 Celsius and up, so it is hardly usable, but works well for testing cameras. We have no Ilford or Kodak, let alone the smaller companies. We still have Fuji, but their focus is medical and commercial printing, and they are not interested in bringing anything film-related, aside from the Instax line of film and cameras. Last year, I was lucky to stumble across a Wista VX, which is, which is in pretty mint condition, sorry, pretty mint condition considering how I found equipment here. It had a leaky bellows and a broken track levers. The levers I got replaced, but the bellows are still the same. A year later, I am still overjoyed every time I use it. It cost me roughly 275 US dollars, and I did not have to incur any custom duty. <laughs> custom duty, now that is a bitch. It comes down to 40%. And to work in anything analog, you have to import your film and your paper. Then you have to hound down the customs people to not open the boxes for checking what's in them when it gets to them. Yeah, Lord. We don't have scanners in our post offices, so every package is ripped open and hand inspected. Roll films get by fine, but sheet film and paper boxes, not so much. I have lost enough money on trial shipments to know. I have to rely on people traveling to get me film and paper and PayPal. It's not even listed in the country list if anyone wants to pay through credit card. Oh, sorry. I skipped a sentence. I have had to rely on people traveling to get me film and paper in, in their personal luggage, or I resort to x-ray film. Even if one was willing to pay the exorbitant 40% duty, a lot of secondhand market online is inaccessible, as Pakistan does not have PayPal, and it's not even listed as a country list if one wants to pay through credit card. The lack of darkened paper is what got me interested in trying to figure out how to make my own photographic paper, which has led to exploration of all processes, something which I have fallen in love with. At a B... Chemistry is not an issue as long as you're willing to mix your own, as the raw chemicals are easily available, but nothing phenendrome-based and no fast fixers, as ammonium thiosulfate isn't available. Ammonium chloride is to the rescue. I have managed my own, I have scavenged my own city along with a couple of other major cities for all remaining darkroom equipment, and I have two 11 by 14 trays, an LPL 6700 with a color head, but a cracked magenta filter. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Patterson microfocus finder, two 120 Patterson tanks, and a four-reel Patterson tank. There exists eight 35-millimeter largers, one more LPL6700 out there, no trays, no tongs, no timers, no contact printers, well, nothing else. You get the gist. So yes, analog is dead in Pakistan, and I am a fool for trying to pursue it here. In my foolishness now, I'm in search of a 4 by 5 and larger. I love this guy. I think this is long enough, and I better sign off. Bess Jahanzeb Haroon. Well, Jahanzeb, um, dude, my hat goes off to you, really. Yeah. If I had a hat, I'd take it off. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's. I, I don't know what to say, really. Um, that's inspiring. Is is all get out uh, on on multiple levels, like. Like, well, we don't have, we can't get things, so we're going to make things. We can't get the chemistry, so we're going to make the chemistry. And I think you're making your own emulsions. I don't know whether you've got access. Oh, burger and chips, please. Yep, I'll have those. Thank you. <laughs> oh, we've even got fruit with this as well. Simon <sighs> just got his food delivered. But three burgers. Simon's just had three burgers on a plate delivered. One for, <laughs> each, one of for each of us. He's a gentleman. And, oh, oh. Oh, got a bit of relish in well, that one. No, I've, oh. well, I've got to complain now because I said, "Oh, just grate some cheese on the top of it." Send and it back to the chef. No fries, though. Yeah, yeah but I, no, I, no, I no, could, no fries. Fries. 
<laughs> stop complaining. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to say this a bit louder now. Yeah, I, I was expecting. Yeah, when I, when you put the cheese on, that was meant to go back under the grill again. Oh, oh, oh. she's run off. Oh, then never, never mind. I am grateful. I'm gonna get uh, something thrown at you in a minute. Yeah, you don't sound like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's the anyway. way forward then? Uh, the way forward, I think, is making things, making your own um, recording medium. I shall say that and mm -hmm. contact printing onto something. Honestly, cyanotypes, you know. I think if he doesn't have it, I mean, I'm going to reply to him, but if he doesn't have it, I think we should take a small collection together, put together a small collection to buy him the primitive photography book that we all refer to as a Bible, um, which goes into great detail on making your own uh, paper negatives and everything else, a complete DIY guide which I think, I think John said, if you don't have it, you will find very, very, very useful. Um, and we also happen to have interviewed a guy, Dick, who teaches people how to make their own uh, gelatin-based 35mm, 120, and 4x5 film, uh, who we might be able to, to bring to bear into this. Well, Nick could probably respond to him if, um, uh, Jahan Zeb, you reached out to Nick Brandreth. Um, <laughs> I can make an introduction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I was um, reading about, I was asking someone about how they, because Nick did a salted paper video I was watching mm -hmm. recently, and he he coats his prints with a combination of beeswax and lavender oil. And I was asking, um, I reached out to, who did I reach out to? Goodness me, I'm really sorry. I reached out to somebody in the Facebook group who'd been in touch with him and got some really great info on beeswax and lavender oil. Yeah. Um, and, and Nick will talk to anybody. From, which came from Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, like he said in our podcast, if, if, if you want to talk to Nick about anything photo based or even not photo based, he's a, he's an open book, just send him a message and he'll yeah. be happy to talk to you about it. Uh, he's a freely generous with his time and knowledge, which is fantastic. So the primitive um, photography book, Jahan Zeb and Nick Brandreth would be two really good resources. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I'll, I'll reply uh, to your email and uh, make some introductions because we're here to help. There's, a, there's another chap as well who um, is it Daniel Keating? Does that ring a name ring a bell with you? Go um, on. Speak a bit more. Uh, yeah, he um, he was on the uh, Homemade Camera podcast. And I'm just going through uh, the list on episode 39 and I think it's him. Yeah, yeah, it is Daniel Keating. Um, I can't remember where, where he is, where he's on Twitter or whatever, but he he is a is a chemist, um, mm. and uh, and he often uh, re talks to people in in different parts <laughs> of the world about how they can make their own developers and, and chemicals and things and things like that. And it's something that he he just he just knows the stuff off the top of his head. I remember listening yeah. to this episode, yeah, and. Uh, and he would just reel stuff off. Oh, well, if you're going to do this, it's four parts of that, five parts of that. And he just knows it. It's absolutely incredible. Um, so, um, yeah, that's somebody to, to check out. And if you haven't heard the episode, episode 39 of the Homemade Camera Podcast, um, if you've got any interest in making your own uh, chemistry, um, do have a listen to that. Because it's, it's, the guy is incredible. Oh, yeah. Yep. I see him now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a homebrewing expert. He's got a really great article on 35 MCC. Sorry, 35 MMC. Um, 
on home brewing, it was everything. Well, we only have one email, but thank you for sending that in because it was. Yeah. It was. Um, I think. Did I not say in one of the earlier podcasts? I don't know whether we were prompted by um, someone who wrote in from Pakistan, and I said I'd like to hear more about the scene in Pakistan. Is he responding to? I'm sure. Um, he I, might be. He might be. That might sure I mentioned. Yeah. yeah. And actually, anyway, yeah, thank I, you, thank you so much. I'm, I'm overawed that you're even going down this route. You know, because mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a real challenge for you, clearly. Yeah, and also uh, that uh, portrait studio owner that he mentions. Uh, I looked that place up too. It's one of the, if not the oldest, uh, professional portrait studio in Pakistan. Like it's been running for generations. Like the dude's great great grandfather founded it. Um, and their collection of portraits of like the rich and powerful and movers and shakers of India and Pakistan is, yeah, I looked at that. Um, there's a there was like a picture of Imran Khan, the cricket captain, as he was, and then the prime minister, is he? Um, yeah, as a young man, and some beautiful large format portraits. I'll put a link to that article in the yeah. show notes. Yeah, makes me actually makes me want to talk to the the current owner, uh, Shahid. Just just about that like that's actually super super interesting um so a couple a couple of great gems uh, out of this email for sure right well okay. there we go thank you okay thank well you. i think um now well, i have to stop eating my uh, very very nice burgers um, <laughs> you better uh, say that pal and the, making me hungry i've got to yeah, go the, and cook in a minute the, the fact that the grated cheese hasn't been melted on the top of oh. it is 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 not actually that much of a hindrance i'm actually enjoying it even though, I mean, fortunately, they're hot, so it's actually sort of melting itself a little bit. But it's, I mean, actually, that's the thing. You're, you're in America, obviously, Eric, and um, you have American artificial uh, dairy-free, whatever-thing-free cheese, don't you, to, to, to stick on your burgers and things. We do. We do. Yeah. Uh, or make grilled cheese with. I did yeah. that just the other day. Yeah. So the non-cheese cheese. Exactly. Uh, so, um, yeah, I should be grateful. Um, Perfectly vegan. <laughs> Um, so uh, let's um, because we haven't had a chance to do this um, to thank those people that have uh, donated to the show uh, via coffee.com that's ko-fi and uh, um, somewhere on there um, it's a it's it's a bit of a trek it's difficult but apparently you can find as some people have and uh, I'm going to take this back to the 11th of May which I have a funny feeling. I've read the site before, um, but it's so long since we've done this. I can't remember where we're up to. So about two months ago, this, this came in. Uh, and from Suit and Whitewash, uh, which is otherwise known as uh, Neil Piper and Alex Purcell um, of their podcast, uh, Suit and White Suit Suit and White Wash podcast. I haven't done one for a while, but uh, there's a there's a back catalogue there. Um, and uh, I'm assuming this is Neil. Um, says thanks, guys, for yet another wonderful show. Uh, show 51 with Todd Carell. I'm sure we've done this before, but anyway, let's we'll say it again. Um, with Todd Carell uh, was uh, another fantastic source of inspiration. You guys are a fantastic team. Um, the addition of Eric was a stroke of genius. <laughs> <laughs> and I look, I look forward to each fortnight to hearing what all three of you and the guests have to say. And then, yeah, so just after he said that, we stopped recording podcasts for a couple of months. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we, we are back, and th- thank you, uh, presumably Neil and uh, and Alex as well, just for the sheer heck of it. Alex is great. 
Um, so uh, so there's that one. And then uh, Christoph Sieglin, I think that, that's uh, uh, who, who it is. Um, it says uh, uh, a coffee. Oh, yeah, uh, a coffee for those ho- uh, for the host and some ice water for Simon's PC. Uh, thanks for the great <laughs> shows. Yeah, my my PC is still uh, causing causing problems with overheating. Um, in fact, actually, this this podcast today has been recorded on two uh, PCs. I've got a laptop uh, which is doing the hard work, and I've got another one to see, just working to try and do something at least. Anyway, so so it it doesn't seem to have gone wrong this week like it did last week. Um, last time, I should say. Then we got uh, Mike Rattel or uh, Rattel. Um, you guys are great together. Um, thanks for doing such a fabulous show. Thank you very, very much, Mike. Um, and you seem to have followed me across on the Classic Lenses podcast because I know you, Mike. Um, so uh, thank, thank you. Um, and then Robert Kalman, um, an exceptional and worthwhile experience into all things large format. Fabulous guests. Many, many thanks. Well, thank you, wow. Robert. Uh, yeah. Um, praise is effusive. And then we have somebody that's, that's uh, donated to us on several occasions, and it's a chap that I cannot, for the life of me, pronounce a surname. And I've copied Keep it. Keep sending it in, man. Yeah. Well, he, he did it once. I say I donated this week just to hear Simon say my name. Um, yes. And um, and that's and I, by the way, I've put this into our little chat room, so both of you can have a go at it as well after I'm butchered it. Um, and and it's Aram Havanyau. Um, so. Um, Sorry, Simon, say that again. <laughs> <laughs> you perfectly well there. Andrew, your turn. Say it. Aram Havano. That's You're not pronouncing the second N, though. Havano. 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 Yeah, it's the second Aram. N. That's the question. Aram. It's the second N. Aram Havano. 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 <laughs> yeah, uh, Aram Aram Havarnanu. Pardon? Aram Havarnanu. You're just saying it really quickly and <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> quickly and confidently. Confidently. Yeah, that's it. Well, and uh, confidentially. Yeah. If if <laughs> if Eric has pronounced your name properly, um, the aforementioned person, um, please let us know. Uh, that that'd be good to know. Um, and uh, Aram. Uh, says, uh, gentlemen, I have finally managed to catch up with the show. What a great, what great guests. We do have some good guests. We've got um, great guests. The hosts do. are dodgy, but the guests are amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, and I can't believe I didn't know about Todd Carell's YouTube channel. So um, he, he does, and he's very happy to find it. And uh, so he should be. It's excellent. Um, and then Buzz um, says, uh, uh, more, more Dave Shrimpton, please. Great episodes, great content. <laughs> Um, may, uh, may, maybe see you at the six times at the six times dark room now. Where now we're allowed to mingle. Buzz, come along uh, every Tuesday night. Um, Buzz and, in, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll 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 say now if um, anybody wants to get hold of me, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. I'm on Twitter as Simon Four, so you can get hold of me those two ways. I've also got a website which is SimonForsterPhotographic.co.uk, and there's a there's an email address uh, link link to that, um, so you can get in touch with that one if you if you wish to. So it saves me a little bit of time later on in the podcast. Um, so yeah, please come down. Uh, the more the merrier. Especially now, the the rule of six means we can have we can pack the place completely full with people and uh, not have to worry about coronavirus. Um, 
yeah, I'm not mm. entirely sure if that's quite right or not. So, yeah. Uh, mm. um, yeah, we are being quite sensible at the moment still. Um, and uh, and then finally, uh, as mentioned before, Billy Sanford, um, a shot for Yevgeny. Uh, cheers and uh, th- thank you, thank you, Billy, and uh, and listen to his podcast on uh, Sunday Sixteen Presents. Um, well worth a listen. Um, so yeah, so thank you. Uh, those people going back all the way up to to May, uh, really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, yeah, just big big thanks. So, um, have we got anything else that we need to get off our chest before we say goodbye and do shout outs and things? If there are any, okay, I'm going to do shout outs then. So I've already done mine. Um, so Andrew, uh, any shout outs? Only those people I've already shouted out about. Yeah, in the Facebook group, Eric. Um. There's always a, a shout out to my long suffering fiance for putting up with my crap. You're such um, a creep, aren't you? You're such a creep. I know. You do that every, I'm a every giant time. pain in the ass, really. I'm just always amazed that she puts up with it and has still not rescinded her agreement to marry me. Um, and I think actually a shout out to to Jahanza for his email. I thought that was uh, excellent. That was awesome. Really excellent. And I'm I'm poking around a bit more um, in Pakistan. Visual arts and whatnot. So that was that was great. I'm stoked. Okay. Well, uh, Andrew, where can people find you if you're not on this podcast? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Warboys Snapper, and they can find me every two weeks or so on the Lensless Podcast and in the Lensless Podcast Facebook group and in the Large Format Photography Podcast Facebook group. And if somebody wants to write into the show, what's the best way of doing that? I suggest they send an email to largeformatphotographypodcast at gmail.com. That was the smoothest that email address has ever been delivered. I think in we, the we history so of... send some more emails in. Um, you know, we we love hearing Eric read them out. <laughs> we do. We do. Um, so, Eric, how can people keep up with the things that you do? Uh, just pretty much yield Instagram A-R-I-K-H-M-A-T-H-Y easy peasy lemon squeezy cool, cool. Um, one last one last thing from me a, a, a little advert because I sell lens caps I am, I'm starting to make more lens boards uh, for cameras although I'm doing more of the custom stuff um, so if anybody's in the UK and they've got a weird lens they wish to be adapted to a lens uh, to, to a large format camera via a lens board um get in touch with me uh, because i might be able to help you out because i've uh, made a few over the last few weeks and it's good fun um so uh so that's it um you'll be hearing the the, the amazing uh music of kevin mcleod uh, which is two finger johnny uh, going right now um and uh, and that's music is published by www.incompetech.com um so yeah so i hope you've enjoyed Uh, the show and we'll be back again soon so goodbye bye take care